Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. We are looking at the book of Ezekiel, and today we're going to examine the second theme, which is God's presence in the temple. Now, remember, I told you in our first episode of Ezekiel that Ezekiel was a Levite. He was a priest. He would have been serving in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, except for the Babylonian exile. And so he deeply cares about the temple. And so God speaks to Ezekiel using temple imagery. Now, the Old Testament temple, which again is a strange concept for most of us living today, 2,500 years after the temple was destroyed, the Old Testament temple was the place where God's presence dwelt on earth among his people. And the presence of God is life-giving. I mean, God is life. All life is breathed out by God. Everything good and pleasing in this world is his gift. So God's always been a life-giving presence. And this is why the announcement of the destruction of the temple in Ezekiel 24 would have been such devastating news to think that the temple can be destroyed and God would leave his people would have been utterly heartbreaking and almost unbelievable to Ezekiel. So let's look at this departure and the return of God's presence. Now in chapter one of Ezekiel, in this long vision that we read in our last episode, God's glory appears to Ezekiel in Babylon. But it's the in Babylon part that would have been so striking for Ezekiel. Isn't God's glory supposed to be in Jerusalem and in the temple? What is the glory of God doing here in Babylon? Now, the Israelites foolishly thought that Yahweh dwelt and was almost contained in a physical structure. And the book of Ezekiel is one of the ways that God shows them and shows us that if they think, if we think that you could box God in, you are badly mistaken. Now, at the construction of the temple, Solomon, the man who had the temple built, he understood what was happening here. And so he prays in 1 Kings 8.27, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? So Solomon understood back then that God is infinitely large, infinitely big, and he can't be contained in a building. In fact, Yahweh says in Ezekiel that Not only am I not contained in the temple, but I'm the actual sanctuary that you need. Ezekiel 11, 16, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them, removed my people far among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. So God has said, I've always been with my people wherever they might go serving as a sanctuary. It's not like in a game of tag where if you're if you're touching the temple, that that's okay, that's safe, that's home base, that God is constrained within the walls of those temple. No, God's presence has always been infinitely big. The temple was just a symbol. And so Ezekiel is teaching them and teaching us that the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Babylonians did not affect Yahweh's existence in the slightest bit. In fact, as we see in Ezekiel, God's glory had already departed from the temple before it was destroyed. Yahweh's house, his physical dwelling place on earth may be destroyed, but Yahweh can never be destroyed. And in the end, Yahweh will return to his people. So just to kind of put all of this together before we take our next step, our next progression, Solomon builds the temple in 1 Kings. 
First Kings chapter 8, the glory of God fills the temple. It's one of the high points of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 9 and 10, the physical temple is still standing, but Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave the temple. And then in Ezekiel 40 through 48, Ezekiel sees this vision of a, of a rebuilt temple, bigger and better, more beautiful than ever, and the glory of God returns, Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the glory shone with his glory, and the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Chebar Canal. Again, I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So here we go. Glory coming back into the temple. But here's the problem with this neat little story that I've told you. When we see the actual temple get rebuilt in 516, for one, it's much smaller than Solomon's temple, let alone this massive temple that Ezekiel sees. And two... The glory of God does not fill the second temple. So as we think about what the Old Testament is telling us about a temple, if we didn't have the New Testament, this is food for thought. Hmm, there's something more going on here. Ultimately, what we want to say is that God's people aren't going to go to a building to find him. If we want to experience God, as Ezekiel is going to show us, we go to God's Messiah and his spirit comes to us. So to take our next step in this story that we're telling, let's look at God's presence in the Messiah's rule and the Spirit's indwelling. So let's look first at life under the Messiah. The return of Yahweh's presence becomes a major theme in the second half of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel is looking forward to this return of God's presence. And he says, or he quotes God as saying, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now, it bears repeating that when Ezekiel is speaking, David's been dead for 350 years. But Ezekiel is looking forward to a future, greater, ultimate David. This is the, sh the shepherd, the, the servant of God, David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, Ezekiel is not as... Messiah-focused as Isaiah, for example. But he is clearly anticipating a future Messiah who will rule Yahweh's people. And when this happens, as Ezekiel 34, 30 says, they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people. So God's presence will come to his people through the son of David who is to come. And when this son of David comes, we also get life through the Spirit. So God's presence is embodied in this future David, this future ruler, but it's also embodied in God's Spirit. And Yahweh's presence through his Spirit will dwell in the renewed people, the people who Jeremiah and Ezekiel together would say are the people of the new covenant. Ezekiel 37, 14, God says, I will put my Spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So Yahweh's spirit will give the people of God life. And it's actually this life, this new life, this new heart that will enable their obedience to their true Davidic king. So 
It's not spirit or Messiah. It's spirit and Messiah. It's Messiah through the spirit. Just some amazing passages in Ezekiel 37, verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. So Ezekiel has been taken out to a valley where he sees all these dry bones, very dry, dead human remains. And God says, can, can these bones live? Which if anybody asked, else asked, that'd be a pretty dumb question. But Ezekiel's smarter than to say, God, that's a dumb question. So he says, oh, Lord God, you know. I, I don't know. So God says, speak. So Ezekiel speaks and says, you know, live. He speaks the word. And the, the bones start to rattle and shake and they start to form back together and tissue and muscle and skin begins to grow over them. And they're all back together, but they're not alive. And then God says, call for the breath. And this word, this English word breath is the, the translation of a Hebrew word, ruach. And it could be translated breath or wind or spirit. So Ezekiel is called to call for the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So the people of God will live when his word and his spirit come together and bring life out of death. Towards the end of that chapter, Ezekiel 37, 24 and 25, God says, my servant David shall be king over them. That exceedingly great army of formerly dead people who are now alive by the word and the spirit, David will be king over them and they'll all have one shepherd and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes and they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever and David my servant will be their prince forever. Yahweh's spirit will vindicate Yahweh's holiness in the sight of all their nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God's people will enjoy life with God only through his spirit and only in relation to the Davidic king. This Davidic king that we know to be Jesus. That's why in Acts chapter 4, in verses 11 and 12, when Peter is speaking to the Sanhedrin. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let's circle back and let's look at God's presence in the temple again in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the prophet, is also Ezekiel, the priest. And he never abandoned his emphasis, his longing for the temple, even after the temple had been destroyed. And even though during his ministry, Ezekiel knew that the Solomonic temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. God told him before it happened, he said, I'm going to destroy that temple. That's part of why he sees God's glory leave the temple. But Ezekiel believes, and he has a vision of this new temple that will be built. And the new temple, as we saw in Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5, the new temple that Ezekiel sees will be filled with a divine glory. And this refilled, rebuilt temple would restore life to all of creation. And we see this renewal in the vision of Ezekiel's river. While Ezekiel is touring this rebuilt temple that's been filled with the glory of God, he sees water leaking out of the temple. And as he follows this trickle of water, the farther he goes along, the trickle uh, becomes a stream, becomes a creek, becomes a river, becomes this raging torrent. And everywhere it goes, it 
life springs up. And this is truly a, a strange vision. It says in Ezekiel 47, in verse 12, On the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So we've got the rebuilt temple in Ezekiel's vision, filled with the glory of God, water trickling out of the temple, bringing life everywhere it goes. And again, a, a, a strange vision. John, writing several hundred years later, picks up this image of a river bringing life, and he uses it in the book of Revelation. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, 1 and 2, John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And both Ezekiel and John are actually drawing from Genesis 2.10 that talks about a river flowing out of Eden to water the garden and becoming four rivers that flow out to the earth. This life-giving flow signifies that the return of Yahweh to the temple in the New Jerusalem is a return to Eden. And in Eden, the Creator resides in perfect harmony with His creation. And at the end of Ezekiel's vision of this new, rebuilt, and yet leaky temple, we're told that this renewed paradise has this name. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, not Jerusalem, but the Lord is there. So when we put all this together, and we, we want to ask this question, should we expect a literal rebuilt temple? Ezekiel sees the vision of the temple. We know that God's word does not fail. So should we expect, should we work towards a literal rebuilt temple? And the answer is no. Because the New Testament says that these visions of a, of a rebuilt temple, a, a rebuilt temple with the glory of God dwelling in it and the life-giving presence of God flowing out of it, they find fulfillment in Christ, his spirit, and his church. Now, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, when the Messiah shows up, expect change. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So the new covenant, the shift from the old to the new covenant is not just going to be more of the same. We're being told things are going to be different. And so should we expect a literal rebuilt temple? And the answer is no. And does that mean that God broke his promise to Ezekiel? And the answer is an emphatic no. Because Jesus says his body is the true temple. He says in John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So Jesus is the temple where the glory of God dwells. Jesus is the source of the life-giving spirit that renews us to the presence of our creator. And what's more, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says the church is the temple of God. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So we Christians are individually the temple of God. We Christians together, as Ephesians 2 shows us, are being built into the temple of God. And Jesus is the ultimate temple of God. All of these images are true and communicate true things using this idea of temple. 
So God's not broken his promise to Ezekiel. He's far exceeded it. He's kept it in a way infinitely greater than Ezekiel would have been able to grasp before the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Ezekiel's vision about the temple and the the river and the tree of life, it's very similar to John's vision in the book of Revelation, almost word for word. But here's the key difference in these two visions. Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the new city, in the new Jerusalem, in the new creation. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Friends, in the old covenant, you went to the tabernacle, you went to the temple, and a priest would go in to the holy place or the most holy place on one day of the year, and they would talk to God for you, but you didn't get to go talk to God. In the new covenant, because of the death of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, we all have full and abundant access to God. There's no more need for a temple. And friends, the access we have now, this glorious access that we have to God's presence now, it's just a taste of the great blessing of Revelation 22, that we will see God face to face. There is no need for a temple. We have Jesus. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, We're going to see what Ezekiel has to teach us about the hideous nature of our sin. But for now, take up and read. God bless.